You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 245 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin. Bridget is traveling this weekend for work, or this week, I should say. Uh, so, the Bruins fall to the Tampa Bay Lightning 5-4. to four. In overtime last night, Scott, they fall to 13-2-2 two two in the season. Opening shift for you. Yeah, actually 13-1-3, I think, right? Because uh, it's overtime, yeah. Um, but that that it does tie into my opening shift, which is that they blew a pair of third-period leads uh, to end up in overtime in the first place. And, you know, for as Great as the Bruins have been, best record in the NHL, one of the best goal differentials. They actually haven't been a, an especially great third-period team. Uh, they're, they're plus three in the season, so it's not like they're a minus team in the third period or anything. But that's compared to plus 12 in the first period, plus nine in the second, which are both at or near the top of the league. And in third-period goal differential, they're basically middle of the pack. Um, they've lost – three games where they had the lead going into the third, which is tied for the most in the NHL. And that doesn't even include last night because they were actually trailing and during the third last night and uh, took a pair of leads, you know, first one, they give the goal right back less than a minute later down the stretch, you know, coil gets in the lead back. They're up four, three. They take a penalty, Johnny Beecher high stick. They actually kill that off, but the very next shift, you know, they can't clear the puck again and kind of an ongoing problem we've seen in a couple of these losses now. And Steven Stamkos ends up with game time goal with five seconds left. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some more numbers here that like I can get into when we circle back to it, but clearly they do need to improve, you know, how they close out games. Jim Montgomery talked about it. After the game, said they need more poise, more understanding of game situations. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's my my opening shift. Yeah, and and I just want to off the top talk about how the Google box score is wrong, Scott. It says it says it says Bruins versus Tampa five four, Boston thirteen two and two. So I'm gonna I'm gonna blame Google for that one. You know, I could look. We rely on Google for everything in this world, but apparently not for the correct standings. Let's see. This is why this is why AI isn't isn't going to take over. They can't they can't take away my job of getting the Bruins record right. So I thought I was taking crazy pills. I was like, I know I just saw those thirteen two and two, and then Robot McLaughlin comes in here 
no, 13, one, <laughs> three. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, the third periods are obviously um, one of the main issues for them. And, and it kind of stems back to last postseason too. totally different team, um, obviously. So it's not even worth really comparing, but that kind of hindered them in the playoffs too, having third period leads that was uncharacteristic of the team up until that point. So even dating back to last spring, holding on to third period leads has been a bit of an issue for them. Uh, for me, I'm going to mention just how good Charlie McAvoy has been this year. Uh, obviously he had a four game suspension, so he was out of sight, out of mind for about a week or so. And we all locally and, and nationally, I think too, but locally know that he's a Norris caliber defenseman and a top defenseman in the league. But even for him, I feel like he's taken his game to a next level this year. He's at a point per game pace and points certainly aren't everything. Um, but as it pertains to being viewed as a top defenseman in the league, unfortunately, Scott, you know, critics and, and Norris voters, they need the defenseman to be scoring at a, at a high pace and they, they don't necessarily notice the, the defense metrics as much. Nonetheless, McAvoy has all that going for him. He has some stiff competition in the scoring department among league defensemen, which we'll get to later, but he's just elevated his game even more so this year, physically, uh, defensively, and offensively. And I think he's like, Scott, he has a seven-game point streak going right now, second longest in his career. Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, he has a pair of eight-game point streaks in his career. That's his career long, so he's now just one game shy of that. Yeah, and he he has – I think he has seven, seven points in his last five games. Um, so yeah, he's just he's just playing lights out, and he's he's being the not only the first the, the the top defenseman that they need him to be, but he's he's a top defenseman in the NHL, and uh, and that's my opening shift. Obviously, last night uh, he had that huge hit on Tanner Janot, which was just an absolute thunderous open ice check that you just don't see every game. Um, in the NHL, certainly this day and age, you might see a couple of those a year with that level of like you just snap your neck like oh my god that was a that was a massive massive hit and it was against a great player too because you know it was one of their tough guys in tampa bay and you know he had his head down and and he was on the charlie track scott what else what else can one say he had a charlie card yeah and you know it's funny because i i was talking to him on sunday after practice and asked him just about you know coming back from suspension you know do you think about it are you, you know, maybe more hesitant or, or can you just not even allow that to happen? And, and he said, like, yeah, I am thinking about it. I, I have been hesitant. He said his first two games back, he was like, I don't think I hit anyone. And I feel like at the box scores, he was technically credited with one hit those first two games. And I thought Saturday against Montreal, you started to see him kind of get back to normal in, in terms of the physicality, the offense defense two way game has been there the whole time but in terms of physicality he stepped up with a couple hits against Montreal and uh, Montgomery highlighted that said he thought you know he thought when Montreal got down by a couple goals they tried to take a couple runs and it was McAvoy who sort of responded and prevented them from having any sort of momentum swing that was going to be based on physicality um, yeah and then Monday in Tampa like like you said that hit on Juneau is just you know green green light just Janos in like a you know he's trying to kind of poke the puck in he doesn't fully have control and McAvoy just sees a chance to stop him in his tracks and and lays a perfectly clean shoulder right to the chest um 
So clearly, maybe not, maybe not as hesitant anymore. It looks like he's getting back to normal, which, of course, he, he has to do. Like, and he obviously was going to do at some point. You get a little bit of hesitancy when you first come back, um, but hitting has always been a part of his game. He's very good at it. He's one of, you know, really probably one of like the cleanest, hardest hitters in the league. Usually, he made a really bad decision and paid a price for it, and. Um, you know, that's, that's now on his resume. You can't ignore it, but for the overwhelming majority of his career, it's been a lot of clean hits with shoulder tucked right to, right to the shoulder or chest. So um, yeah. And he, he picks up, as you said, another assist on Pasenak's tying goal or early in the third made it two, two. Um, you know, what's crazy is that like, he is now putting up points at that sort of Norris level. Like he's a point per game right now. He's 17 or, uh, you know, he missed four games. So he's 13 points in 13 games. Um, usually that's going to be good enough to be right near the top. I think going into last night, he was one of nine defensemen who's a point per game or better this year. The problem is that, you know, when it comes to the Norris discussion is Quinn Hughes and Kel McCarr are at, a point and a half per game and are on pace for like 120 points, which I think they're going to slow down a little. I don't think either one of them is getting a 120 points, but both of them could be on their way to a hundred. And that is just like, that's hard to compete with. I mean, Eric Carlson won the Norris with a hundred points last year on a bad team while, you know, only playing defense and in name only, um, Carlson won that Norris on points alone. And I'm not even, I'm not even sure there was like the wrong decision. Like a hundred points for a defenseman is crazy. So uh, yeah, he'll, he'll probably need those guys to slow down a little if he's going to have a chance to, to win it. Obviously, you know, that's a discussion for later in the season, but I do think he's playing some of the best hockey of his career for sure. Yeah. And, and what you like about it is that it's coming in a year where the Bruins obviously lost leadership in Bergeron and Krejci and Felino and, um, but you know, mainly Bergeron and Krejci guys that have been around for a long time. Obviously Char has been gone for about a handful of years at this point. So my point is they needed these young guys to step up and to carry the torch, even though Marchand is still around and McAvoy is, is certainly doing that as is Pasternak. So like, those are the two guys you kind of look to, to lead that next generation. And so far they're both stepping up with flying colors and, yeah, it, it's for McAvoy. It's it's got to be well. First of all, I feel like McAvoy is the type of player that doesn't really care about individual accolades. Every player, I'm sure, if they were given some truth serum, would be like, "Yeah, it'd be cool to win a Norris." But aside from that, I feel like he's more concerned with you know team game and, and team success. And if he gets a Norris along the way, that's obviously great. But you know, he's a player who's going to be you know he's a he's a top defenseman. He'll be a top defenseman. His entire career, he'll be, you know, an all-star defenseman. He'll be, you know, any international tournaments, he'll be a top defenseman on Team USA. Like, he's going to be known as a top defenseman. But it's got to be a little bit discouraging, maybe, um, when it does seem to be like a popularity contest when it comes to the highest-scoring defenseman to win the Norris. And he's playing in an era with Makar and Adam Fox and uh, Quinn Hughes. Rasmus Dahlin is capable of scoring, but 
then you have guys like McAvoy and Mira Heiskanen in Dallas that are just so all around solid and might not ever put up those points as those guys, but they're competing with them for the, the Norris. And maybe that's what voters look to first and foremost, whether or not people agree with it or people want to have a, a Norris trophy and a Bobby Orr trophy. I don't know, Scott, but uh, either way, he's, he's playing as a Norris uh, Norris trophy winner for this Bruins team so far this year. So to kind of bring it back to, uh, to your opening shift with the third periods, um, you know, obviously the Bruins played a pretty solid road game kind of, again, I feel like we've said this before, but in the regular season in the NHL and the postseason, but sometimes you just have those nights where the, the officiating just seems like it's a bit inconsistent. Um, and therefore the flow of the game changes, but it was a very entertaining game. Um, one team scores, another team answers. Obviously, the Bruins are down going into the third period. They come back, tie the game, take the lead. Um, and then it was a seesaw battle until then, right down to the final buzzer, Scott. So if you want to elaborate on if the third periods are a concern for you with this team or it's just a matter of they got how many months to to, to shore it up. I mean, you could you can make the argument this Bruins team could be 17-0 if it wasn't for these four third period letdowns and – so what are we really complaining about? Nothing. It's just something worth worth mentioning. Right. That's it's like it's it sounds insane to suggest that there's like any way the Bruins record could be better, but it's like, well, I don't know. If they were as dominant in the third period as they've been in first and second periods, they might only have like legitimately one loss, which is like crazy. Um but it, yeah, so first just to touch on the officiating, because I'm, I'm sure people People want to hear about that, and let's just be honest. Like, it sucked Monday night. It was – I'm usually – usually my opinion of officiating is, like, it's fine, more or less. Like, it's a fast game. It's hard to get things right. You're going to make mistakes. Last night was just, like, noticeably bad. Um, you know, a couple ticky-tack calls on, on the Bruins. The Lori hook. Not sure he actually got the, the Lightning player's hands. Uh, the McAvoy interference was, I feel like they just called it more because of the angle than anything, but I'm like that level of, of interference of like, you know, sliding over in front of a guy a little bit happens on like literally every chip and chase all game long. Like just because it was a different angle and, and the Bruins are on the power play, I think is why it looks different to the refs. But I'm like, if you're, if that's really interference, then every single time that, you know, a defender shifts over to force a guy off his line on the forecheck should be interference. Um, Pasternak gets a roughing call when him and Hagel are both throwing jabs at each other and Hagel actually gets Pasternak in the face and Pasternak gets the only penalty. Horrible. You know, Martian gets hooked on a drive to the net, no call. Pasternak could have been potentially two penalties called on that breakaway chance looked like Hedman gave him a quick little hook right when Pasternak got the puck, like just outside the, the blue line. And then I don't know if we ever really got a great look at it, but I thought Perbix got his hands. It looks similar to like the Lori penalty. Um, now, all that said, all of that stuff was in the first two periods. Everything I just mentioned was in the first two periods. The third period, the Bruins still had two leads. 
the penalties they got called for in the third period, the two high sticks were high sticks. Like you have to call those. So what happened in the third period, not the ref's fault. Like that was the Bruins own doing. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, I think we can get into Mason Laura a little more as we go here and, and kind of where we think he stands, but when they they go up three, two, he comes back in a puck retrieval while the lightning are changing lines. And there's only one four checker coming in. There's three Bruins back. Lorai and McAvoy and Zaka are both close to him. All Lorai has to do is like swing around the other side of the net. And instead he plays the puck back into traffic right where the only four checker is. Now you get like a 50, 50 battle. The Bruins lose it or actually they kind of win it. Cause Zaka ends up with the puck. Then he blindly throws it up the boards. It's kept in the zone. Next thing you know, it's a goal. Like, again, just to Jim Montgomery's point about, like, puck management and knowing the scoring situation, like, that was not good puck management. That that was taking what should have been an easy retrieval and breakout and turning it into a contested battle and, like, scrambling to get back. Um, you know, the Beecher penalty, unfortunate. Like, nothing – you know, he's not trying to high stick him there, but he kind of has a stick out loose and it slides up. Um, they actually managed to get the kill, but then, you know, but there's a couple plays in it. Like forward had a failed clear. Martian has the puck in the neutral zone, can send it in deep and instead tries a cross ice pass that gets picked off and turned right back up ice. So there's more zone time. And then finally, like the fatal clear is Pavel Zaka. Like all he has to do is just hammer it down the ice, really in almost any direction. And instead he tries, it's like he's trying to flip it over Victor Hedman to like Johnny Beecher, who's kind of behind him. And it's like, you don't have to do that. Like there's 10 seconds left in the game. Just hammer it down the length of the ice. And Hedman keeps it in. And five seconds later, game's tied and you're going to overtime. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Zaka, and uh, I wanted to bring him up as well, and we're going to get to who's up and who's down later on. But I do want to give him and Coyle and JVR a shout-out because they all factored in last night uh, in the game on the score sheet. <clears throat> Zaka ties the game one-to-one. Coyle gives the Bruins a lead late on an assist from JVR. And there's – there's been a lot of talk going into the off seat or into the regular season from the off season about, okay, we think Zaka can, can produce like a top six centerman because we saw him produce 57 points last year, though he was on the wing for most of it, but with an elevated role with Pasternak all year, you know, can he, we think he's capable of being a top six producer. Coy, we weren't so sure about and JVR. We weren't so sure about anymore, but through the first, um, you know, 17 games this year, uh, they're all flirting with a point per game, just a little bit under a point per game. I think coils are on pace for like 75 points or, or like maybe like seven, maybe like 73 or four points. And Zaka's on pace for around 70. JVR is on pace for between 65 and 70. Um, and again, like they all, they all chip in last night again. And so they're not, going to be who's up for me later on, but I did want to mention them and the importance of those three players producing. Uh, it, 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 it can't be understated. Like 
they're all on, well, I don't know about JVR in particular, but for Zaka and Coyle, they're on pace for career highs and, and, and Coyle in particular, like he's, did anybody anticipate him being just under a point per game pace at Thanksgiving? I don't think so. I think pe- most people would say probably not. They, they would doubt it. So j- Scott, just your uh, opinion on their games for the first month, month and a half of the season so far. Yeah, it, it's been huge. Um, you know, even early on this season, it, you know, Coyle started the year on a line with Martian and DeBrusque, and you think, hey, that's a good spot. And they didn't really click right away. They weren't putting up points. And, you know, Coyle kind of quickly gets dropped down to, you know, quote unquote, third line or whatever. Um, now he is producing, like, like not just like a sideline center, but like a really good one. And, you know, we've talked about it, like, JVR Coyle Frederick doesn't seem like a second line when you like when you look at it on paper. Like you think that'd be a really good third line, but right now they are producing like a second line. Like and you know you just keep riding that for as long as it lasts. And obviously they, you know, most nights they're playing a really good style of hockey, really effective. Like they're possessing the puck, they get in on the forecheck. They're good around the net. Like they can all protect the puck. So you like the style they play. They're all pretty responsible defensively. Um, last night, I actually thought was one of the quieter games we've seen from them for most of the night. But then in crunch time, when it matters, they step up with that goal, which is just like, you know, it's sort of exactly what you want to see. It's, you know, Ben Reemsdyke and Frederick in on the four check. Frederick helps free up the puck and JVR, you know, I think Brick highlighted this on the broadcast. It's like he knew exactly what he was doing before the puck even got to him because he saw Coyle coming and, and Coyle just buries it with a, with a great finish under the bar. Um, you know, so yeah, like they find a way to, to impact the game and, and put the Bruins in a position to get a win. Um, even on a night where they were kind of relatively held in check and obviously, you know, doesn't end up getting them the win. They do get the point, you know, they still got, got to overtime, but uh, yeah, that line in particular and, and, the, and with Zaka, I thought that line was dominant last night, Martian and Zaka Pasternak. Like they had, they had a really good game. I think they've had several really good ones in a row. I think it's four straight games that that line scored at least one goal. Um, they were creating chances all night and, uh, you know, again, you saw, saw them step up in the third period, Pasternak scores, uh, the tying goal to make it two one. So, you know, they had a, a goal before that back in the first period, um, you know, Saka scoring. So they get on the board twice Monday night and are, you know, really playing like a true top line now, which if you're, if you're going to load up your top line with Martian and Pasternak, they, they have to, yes, you're still going to need depth scoring behind them, but that has to be like a legitimate top line. And and they're looking like it right now. So what do you feel like this team offensively needs? Uh, Let's, let's just, jump ahead a couple of months, right? Let's say, cause I, cause I like, I like the look of these lines. I like Marshan and Pasternak together because I think this team 
this team needs it. Like you, you, you don't have, you don't have Taylor Hall on your third line this year, right? You, you don't have Bergeron, Krejci, Coyle up the middle. Like you just, you don't have the high end depth. Tyler Bertuzzi floating around. Like you don't have the high end depth you did last year, where you could split up, you know, Marshan and Pashnak and all these guys and put them on different lines and Taylor Hall. You kind of this this team while they're they are scoring at a at a very very acceptable pace, Scott. Uh, are, are they are they top ten in, in offense yet? Do we know? Or we know the top half of the league, but um, they they might be. I'm gonna take a look, but I, I think they might have climbed that high. So while you confirm that, like I my they are scoring. Like scoring is not an issue for this team. Are they scoring as much as last year? No, but last year was a ridiculous pace. They're scoring enough and at a very good rate, but they do, I think to do that, I think they do need Marshan and Pashnak together. And, and that, that JBR coil Frederick line has been great. So let's just say Scott, that those two lines I just mentioned, they stick together. Do you, well, first question, do you like those lines in place for this team long-term, especially if DeBrusque and Patra can can find something and, and get and get scoring which we all think that they will obviously so let's say this is the forward grouping and it's like a few months from now like do you do you just want to add a a potential middle six top six winger like what do you think this team needs because they're 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 tops in the league we expect them to be in the playoffs fully and to contend because when you when you finish as a top top five team in the nhl which they kind of obviously project to do you should be a contender. So are you content with this forward grouping or when we get, when we get to the trade deadline, you think the Bruins are going to just try to add some middle six uh, muscle or something. And by muscle, I mean scoring punch. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the group for now. Uh, I, I do like that top line. I like the way JVR coil Frederick plays together. Um, I had liked the way Heinen Potra DeBrusque was playing even though they weren't scoring a lot, I did think they were pretty quiet Monday night, you know, a couple decent shifts, but, um, you know, one, one of their quieter games overall. And we saw Patra kind of ended up demoted to the fourth line and didn't get a lot of shifts in the third period. And Johnny Beecher actually bumped up and got, got more shifts with that high end debrusque line, which I think is, I think it was partly because Beecher played great. That, that might've been his, you know, the late high sticking penalty aside might've been his best game yet. Uh, he scored, you know, a big goal in the third period. Um, and part of it was also, I, I think if you're shortening the bench, they trust Beecher more to try to hold on to a third period lead than Patra uh, at, you know, at this point in their careers. Again, I ironic because it ends up, for all the good work he had done before that ends up being Beecher who, you know, takes a pretty costly penalty late that helps Tampa build momentum eventually leading up to, to the tying goal. Um, but yeah, long, long, by the way, they are up to 11th in scoring 3.47 goals per game. And they're, they're right behind like within percentage points of Tampa Bay, Dallas and Toronto. So it's like, yeah, if you're, if that's where you're going to be offensively, like, that's 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 good enough if you're the best defensive team in the league. Um, longer term, it, it does still feel like they're going to need another difference maker somewhere. 
um, just someone who can, you know, go out and make something happen like in a, you know, in a third period or with some individual creativity, but it's not a pressing need right now. Like, like you said, like they've, they've picked it up offensively over the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, I think you're, you're, you're just fine for now that they're getting their defensemen more involved. So yeah, let, let things play out that, you know, Patra DeBrusque combo in particular, whether it's Heinen with them or, you know, Morgan Geeky could be coming back relatively soon, you know, within the next week or two. Like, I still want to see, I still want to see, give those two longer run and see if they can build something and put up some points, but it ha- it hasn't happened yet. And I do think there's, the longer it goes on, like the more frustration kind of builds, you know, you see Montgomery, you know, sort of demote Potter in this game. And he's, he said, you know, DeBrusque is doing the right things in spurts, but not consistently enough. So it's hard. The longer this drags on for them, the, the harder it is for them to like stay focused on just doing the right things because DeBrusque considers himself a scorer. Patra has scored at every level he's been at, and they're not used to going through a stretch where I think each one of them has like one point in the last five or six games. Like they're, they're not used to that. So naturally some frustration is gonna, is going to be creeping in for them. Yeah. And we'll, we'll circle back on them in a few minutes too. Like, let me ask you this, Scott, if you're the Bruins management and your GMs around the league, are you looking at the Bruins and are the Bruins looking at themselves in the mirror saying to themselves the numbers we said earlier? Well, we got Coyle and we got Zaka as our top two centermen and they're both, you know, projected just shy a point per game this year. If that were, if that trajectory were to continue, but do you think the Bruins and the rest of the NHL are still looking at Boston and being like, okay, that's great. But like we slash like, they still like, they, they need another, like they need another top, top end center. Like, cause the numbers, if you're trying to play money ball, right? Like Coyle and Zaka, they're, they're, they're doing exactly like what you'd hope they do. If not more, the numbers are there, but is that an, is that enough? Like, like does this team and again, the market dictates a lot what's available, what can be had, if you can even add a, a top, a top two center, but like, I, I don't know. It, it's like rationally you sit there and say, Coyle and Zaka aren't a number one and number two center on a Stanley cup champion. But like the numbers say they, they could be if the rest of the team is, is, is well-rounded like Boston is. Um, so like, what, what, where does your mind lean on in this? Like, do you feel like it's a little too good to be true? Do you feel like it's a little smoke and mirrors or like, yeah, the numbers are good, but it's, it's still just doesn't like that. The teams don't win with, with, without at least an elite number one and number two centerman. Right. Like that, that's the thing. It's like, it is, you know, if you look through Stanley cup winners, most of them have an elite number one center. Like Vegas has Jack Eichel, Colorado, Nathan McKinnon, Tampa with their back-to-back wins has Braden Point and Steven Stamkos. Um, Washington has, you know, Nicholas Backstrom in his prime. Uh, Penguins obviously have 
Crosby and Malkin, like Taves, Cole Blackhawks, Pitar, Taves. Yeah, ex- exactly. And Krejci. Right. Like oddly enough, like the Bruins might be the team in there where you're like, you know, you're going back to 2011, and it's like where Krejci and Bergeron were obviously both very, very good, but like were they truly elite? You know, regular season stats wise, you wouldn't say so offensively, but obviously Krejci stepped up in the playoffs and led everyone in postseason scoring. So, you know, like they 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 at least have to have that ability to like step up and produce at a high rate in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I, I do think like Zaka could do that, right. Especially if he's playing between Martian and Pasternak, it's like, you could see him getting hot and putting up a bunch of points in the playoffs, but you're, you're projecting a little there. Like it's not a sure thing. Um, you know, coil has had some good moments in the playoffs, but Again, like you, you would never really confuse him as like a big time playoff performer offensively. So like that would that would be something new if that happens for him this year. So, um, yeah, I do think like there's going to be those questions until or unless they do it because mo- the just, the fact is most Stanley Cup winners have an elite number one center, and it remains to be seen whether the Bruins have that, you know, right now, kind of no matter how high you are on Zach, you'd probably say they don't have that right now. So they would, they would have to do it, you know, a little differently. Yeah. I mean, again, they're, they're being asked to play in an elevated role, more elevated than they've ever been asked to play in their careers. Although Charlie Coyle was tasked with second line center at the beginning of um, a couple of seasons ago. And then, uh, Eric Halla ended up taking that spot, but um, they're they're being asked to play elevated roles, and to their credit, they're delivering. But on paper, and you can be as much of a tummy sticks Bruins fan as you want, and sit there and point out the stats and say, "Well, they have number one and number two center stats right now," and I'm not saying they don't. But if you look at the roster on paper, you can't help but think both players respectfully like you know they they should be one slot behind where they're playing right like Pavel Zaka to me if he's playing the way he's played so far this year and the way he played last year with Krejci and Pasternak even though he's on the wing like he would be an a perfect number two center on a Stanley Cup champion and Charlie Coyle we've been saying for years would be the perfect number three center on a Stanley cup champion. And that, you know, that's where Coyle has been for Boston since he's been here and, and they haven't been able to get the job done, but it's not because of Coyle, I would say, obviously. Um, and it's like, if you could just get that one guy to put ahead of him. Now we know that guy's probably not out there. And, 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 you know, this, it, it kind of makes this not this conversation maybe a little bit moot, but um, that's just the feeling that I have looking at this team is like, man, if, if, if Zaka was a number two center and Coyle's number three center and, I mean, and it's, it's, it's annoying. Cause like, that's the depth that they had last year and they, and they ruined it. Um, so it's what, what we learned last year is ideal rosters on paper don't mean anything necessarily come playoff time, but it does feel like if this team wants to win a Stanley cup, they, they, they do seem like they're a top two center and in particular, maybe a true number one center short. Um, but, and, but maybe Zaka turns into that guy. I don't know. It's just like, like you said, until you see it, 
you can't help but feel like that's what's lacking uh, to win a cup. To be where they are right now is amazing. They've played amazing, and they might play amazing the rest of the season. Um, it just it's it's tough to visualize them winning 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 the, the Stanley Cup with this current. I don't know depth or lack thereof up front, but again, the rest of the team is so strong. It's maybe they could do a 2011 situation where Bergeron was still coming back from his concussion and wasn't offensively where he was later in his career. Well, he was great offensively earlier in his career, then a concussion set him back a few years with offense. And then Krejci was still young in the league. So maybe they could do something like the 2011 Bruins where they didn't have the best number one center in the league and just one on team identity and, and team completeness. We'll have to see Scott. Well, and, and goaltending and defense, and you know, specifically, which it's very much how this team will have to win, you know, come playoffs. Um, you know, I would also say like, I think Patra is an important part of this discussion too. Not, not that I expect him at 19 years old to elevate to, you know, a number one, like a legit number one center, but if he's playing and producing like, a strong third line center, you know, one way to combat maybe the the lack of like the true high end center is just have three or four really good lines that, you know, if you feel like you can roll out your top three lines against any top three line on another team, you're going to be in good shape. Like if you can win matchups by depth and not have, you know, a line in there that you have to protect or try to keep away from certain matchups or whatever, like you, you, you'll be in good shape. So you can do it that way too. And that's where like Patra stepping up, you know, getting back to sort of the player we saw more earlier in the season and building off that can be really important for this team because Patra at that level is a real asset up the middle that gives you, okay, maybe not, you know, an elite number one center, but now you have three really good centers on your top three lines who are all producing at a pretty good rate. Fourth line you like that can handle defensive assignments. But if Padre is going to be quiet, like he has been for this last little stretch. And if Montgomery is not going to trust him in, the third period of a one goal game, like he clearly did into Monday night. Well, now you don't really have that depth. Now you have a a third line. That's not really an asset, but a, you know, a line that you're trying to protect and hide from certain matchups. And like that becomes really tough. We all know the importance of a third line in the playoffs. So you can counteract and not having that true, you know, top 10 center in the league. If you have, you know, three really good lines, three really good centers that, that you feel good about. Yeah. And, and maybe you mentioned earlier, you said, I think they, I think they eventually might need a difference maker or a game changer or a game breaker up front. And maybe that comes in the form of a winger, right? Like maybe, maybe if they have three centers, maybe it's Jake DeBrusque. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's Fabian Lysel. Yeah. Um, but uh no, Maybe what you just need out of your sentiment is just to play responsible two-way hockey. I mean, maybe like maybe you don't need a a ninety-point number one sentiment as we talked about. Like 
the Bruins didn't have that in 2011. Maybe you just need responsible two-way players up the middle and that can score obviously, but you just, yeah, you just have depth and balance. I mean, one thing I've definitely learned from last year and, you know, I, I, I knew about it going into the playoffs last year. I was aware of it, but I was like, ah, this team's too good to, to, to falter in the first round. But again, having a dream team on paper doesn't necessarily equate to postseason success. I mean, the Bruins had everything on paper last year and they literally like they, they, they fell like a, like an underwhelming eighth seed roster in the first round. Like their season was just as long. Right. So um, yeah, I think that if you just have strong goaltending and, and, and defense and, and that's what you're predicated on and then everything else comes and falls into place. Like, you know, you also don't want to mess with chemistry. Say, say, say there is a top two center out there that you want to bring into your team, but all season Zaka's been gelling with Pashnak and Marshan and, and uh, Coyle's been gelling with JVR and, and Frederick or whatever. It's like those, the, and then those combinations change for one reason or another, like, because you bring in somebody, maybe the lesson to be learned is like, if you, if you've gotten to a certain place with the roster that you have, maybe, maybe trust it. Maybe don't, don't blow it up to try to bring in uh, an A plus roster. Maybe just try to complement it and see where this group brings you. Like maybe there's a lesson to be, to be learned there. And in today's day and age with the salary cap, the hard cap, like there's, there are no perfect rosters out there. Again, last year's Bruins one was, was pretty perfect. It looked like on paper because they were able to uh, manipulate the, the salary cap with, with the IR situations and whatnot. Um, but you know, for teams that have, maybe the Bruins don't have an elite number one center, but maybe teams that have an elite number one center don't have, you know, uh, a 60 plus goal score on the wing or don't have a depth on the third line because they just can't allocate the cash everywhere. So, um, there's a give and a take and, and yeah, I guess to summarize, maybe the lessons learned from last year are just don't put so much stock in like the perfect roster and if, and, uh, and don't try to uproot the chemistry that's gotten you to where they are so far. Yeah. They, they also, you know, might not have a McAvoy Lindholm and even Carlo that they're building their defense around. And, you know, we know Lindholm got off to a slow start this year, but he's, he's picked it up over the last week. Plus they might be a team that's gone cheap at goalie and is just hoping someone gets hot, which can happen, but also for a lot of teams doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, it's the Bruins have advantages in other places, um, at, at least in the regular season. Obviously, last year, those advantages did not carry over to the first round. Um, but yeah, do you want to transition uh, to because we kind of already touched on a couple of the ups and downs. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to kick it off with, with a bit of a, a, a maybe a spicy down that uh, I'll be interested, you know, what, what you think of them. I, I think it can lead to a little bit longer of a discussion, but I thought Monday night was overall a, a down game for Mason Lorai. And he did make, he did make a nice play to get an assist on, um, on Pasternak's goal early in the third period. But overall, I thought, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the rough play he made coming back in the retrieval. 
on what ended up leading to Tampa's goal to tie at 3-3. You know, he had had a penalty that, again, I I thought was pretty questionable. But a couple couple tougher shifts earlier in the game, too. And overall, I did think, you know, on the whole, probably more of of a negative game. He got – Montgomery took him off the pairing with McAvoy for part of the game and was kind of shaking things up a little. You saw Forbert get some shifts with McAvoy, Lindholm some shifts with McAvoy. Um, Lorai ends up at just 12.46 time on ice. So curious what what you think about where he's at. And, you know, obviously the – this discussion it becomes a little more important because it's now just two games to go until we think Matt Grizzlick's back. He's eligible to return Saturday. And it sounds like there's, you know, a pretty good chance that he will be ready Saturday. All right. So our friend Anthony over at Bruins Network, he tweeted something up this morning, and I think it summarizes pretty much my thoughts as well on Lorai. And he said, Mason Lorai hasn't had his best defense in the last few games while drawing tough matchups with McAvoy. That said, he shines on breakouts slash attacks where he could easily have more points than he does. He needs, he needs these reps against NHLers, not AHLers, to improve his scheme. So I totally understand why people are saying He's not ready defensively. He needs to go down to Providence. His ceiling is really high. He's been playing. Like we see the offense, we see the upside, but his defense needs improvement. Set him down to Providence and learn all situations and gain that ice time and gain those reps where he's going to play every minute of every game. I got it loud and clear. Okay. But personally, I, and I agree defensively, that's where he needs to work on the most defensively but defensively he will improve the most by playing against the best players in the world not against the fifth and sixth line on the depth chart for the washington capitals down in hershey or you know the barracuda sharks or like it it doesn't he needs to play against the best to get better iron sharpens iron and i think that to your what makes this difficult is yeah, like Grizzlick's coming back. So so something's got to give. So the Bruins very well may send him down to Providence. And if they do, it's not the end of the world. I think he'll be back up because so is the NHL. Guys get hurt, and he's clearly the first call-up at this point for Boston, right? Um, I just think, like, maybe just ha- send send Ian Mitchell down or, or I think maybe have him, as, have him in the rotation. Like, I, I know – I know, Scott, you mentioned like you were open to a rotation earlier, a 7D rotation earlier in the season than later. So, but but I, I also think you fall in the camp of sending him down to Providence too. So um, make up your mind. But uh, <laughs> I think that like they should keep him around when Grizzly comes back and just do a 7D rotation. That's, that, that's what I feel. Um, you can be selective about when you play him, but I think like, Last night, did he get exposed a little bit against Tampa Bay? Yeah. Is he going to learn more by getting exposed against Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov and others and Braden Point? Yeah, I think he's better off for it. And um, I guess I don't want to go too long-winded, but 
that's my opinion. I think he's been uh, clearly he needs work defensively, but I think he's one of those he's one of these players that is good enough to to develop at the highest level, and I think that's what they should do. I know it's a difficult situation. They might want to send him down for those reps, but if you're asking me, I think it's early early on in the season. Do it. Do a seven D rotation, and um, I like him. I think he has some work to do, but again, I think he's going to benefit most by learning against the best players in the world. Because because Scott, because like not you know playing twenty five minutes a night down in Providence, like yeah, he might be a lockdown shutdown guy, but then you call him back up and he's playing against Austin Matthews. It's it's a totally different world, and nothing can prepare you for for defending Nathan McKinnon like skating against Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid. Like you just at some point you need to you know, playing against, like I said, depth guys in different organizations doesn't prepare you for that. You have to play against the best. And I think that's why ultimately I fall in the camp of trying to find ways to keep him around as long as you can. So big fan of of Anthony's work and I get what he's saying and I get what you're saying. I would just say, I, I think I actually pretty strongly disagree on this one. Um, I think you can, learn a lot and improve a lot in the AHL, especially as a defenseman. Uh, I do think being a defenseman, being a young defenseman is harder than being a young forward. I think your, your mistakes get exposed a lot more at the NHL level. Um, I think it takes longer to really learn the right habits and I'm, I think, as you know, like I'm usually not even like a, you know, overcooked them in, in the AHL type of guy. Like I, I've, I've said before, you know, other friends of the podcast, Mark Diver, Andrew Raycroft, I think they fall more in that camp of like, there's no such thing as too much time in the minors. In, in Laura's case, I don't think that's at play here. Like we're talking about a kid who's played 23 professional hockey games. 15 in the AHL, eight in the NHL. There is, in my mind, so much more he can learn and will learn and has to learn. And yes, he, he could learn at the NHL level. I'm not, I'm not saying he can't. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, there's no way you should keep him around. He's not ready or whatever. Like, yeah, he, he could learn on, on the fly at this level. But I also think he absolutely can learn and improve in Providence. Like, I, I don't think that's – I don't think you're sending him to a situation where it's like he has nothing left to prove down there, so so what's the point? Like, it, he, he wasn't dominating in Providence before he got called up. He wasn't playing poorly, but there were, like, several people when – he, when he got called up, that first game he played for the Bruins, I think was still his best game at this level. Like, he was terrific that first game. And there were several people, I think, like, including Mark and – Maybe even Anthony, I you know, I don't remember exactly what his take was at the time, but people who said like that was better than any game he played in Providence earlier this season. So, you know, we say like, well, is it really that valuable for him to like go down to Providence and just dominate, you know, 25 minutes a night? Well, I would say like he wasn't really dominating down there, and I'm not sure he would be if he gets sent down. Like I I think there's still stuff he's gonna work through and learn at that level 
and be able to improve there and get tested there. Um, and then be in a better position next time he gets called up, which, which I certainly think is going to be this season. I don't think he's going down for the rest of the year, but um, I, I have absolutely no problem sending him down because I think it can be valuable and that's the direction I would lean right now. Yeah. So look, there's this conversation for me. It's, it's, it's a win-win. I don't like the Bruins can send him down because they can afford to, because the team is winning and they don't need him right now. And I don't, and I'm not, I'm not saying that he can't benefit from being a Providence. I just think he can benefit more from the NHL because you mentioned there's a lot more you can learn down in Providence, right? Okay. Let's talk about that. What's he, what, what can he work on and develop on timing, spacing, gap control, strength, like all these things, system play. Sure. But you, you, you go down to Providence, you work on situational awareness. That's great. But when you're working on, you know, you're, you're skating, you're, you're, like I said, you're, you're, you're angling your, your gap control, your stick positioning, the way you defend. That's, that's great. Love it. But that all changes when he goes back up to Boston because the game, the speed of the game, everything changes. It all, it all, the tempo goes up for all of those facets, your gap control, your footwork has to be quicker. You're like, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like you're studying. You spent all night studying for an exam, but you realize you read the wrong chapters. Like it's, 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 you, you got to read different chapters now because everything, everything adjusts at the, at the next level. So what, okay, let me, let me ask you this. What would he, and again, just to um, reiterate, the Bruins don't need him right now. You can send him down to Providence. I'm not saying it's it's bad for him. It's not a big deal. And he will be back up because somebody will get hurt and he'll be back up again at some point. So, like I said, this is a win-win situation. But what specifically do you feel he can learn in Providence that he can't learn in the NHL? Is it simply just playing 25 minutes a night and being the guy every night? Well, that that that's part of it. You know, playing in situations where he's going to be out there protecting a one goal lead in the third period, which we've seen him get less ice time in those situations at the NHL level. It, again, special teams, like he's going to be on Providence's top power play unit, top penalty kill unit, learn those areas, which he's not playing on either unit um, for Boston. But then even, even beyond that, like, yeah, like the speed and, and, you know, pace of it, I get is different, but even just like fundamental stuff, like, you know, decision-making coming back on a retrieval, like that play last night, decision-making at the offensive blue line where he's got caught flat footed a a few times now, including last night when uh, he seems to kind of be get caught between two minds on whether to try to step up on Nikita Kucherov or fade back and ends up in no man's land and Kucherov just blows past him. And, I get, you know, your point would be, well, there's no Nikita Kucherov in Providence. No, but there's still that situation at the offensive blue line of making a, a quicker, more decisive decision on whether to drop back or pinch. Um, you know, all of that stuff he can work on. His first step, I think there's times where he's still a little slow to get going when he has to quickly change direction. Um like that's a fundamental thing that can get worked on 
in practice during the week down in Providence. So yeah, kind kind of all of that. And like, I would just say like, as far as it being, you know, yeah, obviously NHL is a totally different level than AHL, but all those habits you can learn in Providence and facing competition down there, which is still higher than any other level of competition he's faced. I, I just, I still think it's really beneficial. Like I think, I think Johnny Beecher is, was more ready to be an NHL player this year because he spent a year in Providence and like similar to Laura, like he was, you know, a little on the older side when he got there, he had three years at Michigan. Like, you know, that's, Hey, big 10 hockey is a pretty high level. Like, you know, you, you could have made an argument like, Hey, he's already, you know, pretty smart defensive player. He's got the size and skating. Like how much does he really have to learn in Providence? Well, I think he learned quite a bit in Providence last year. I think he got better down there. And it's, yeah, you can't mimic facing NHL competition, but you can learn a lot of fundamentals and get a lot of reps against professionals. Um, You know, another area would be like just physical battles, which I think Laura can can work on. And, And the AHL is a pretty big league. Like there's still, you know, there's grown men in that league. So that's different than college too. Yeah, those are all good points, actually. And and I think, you know, as you're as you're talking about it, um, you know, I, I bring up, you know, little things like gap control and stick positioning and angling and, and different defensive metrics and ways to defend and I and, and how the speed significantly in, increases at the NHL level. So it's almost like you have to relearn the those those things. But as you're as you're talking, there there are those benefits you're mentioning. There's situational awareness. There's leadership, um, being having the you know the weight of the team success on your shoulders, but at the same time not being under the bright lights of the NHL and being so afraid to make mistakes, right? Um, you mentioned like puck retrievals, like yeah, okay, so a little again situational awareness, um, special teams, that's true as well, and you know also the one thing I wouldn't want to have happen at the NHL level is, uh, you know his confidence starts to lose or, 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 you know, dwindle because for one reason or another, he doesn't feel like he can uh, flex his muscle and, and, and get to his game in all facets. So if he can go back down to Providence and, and, and work on all those things that you're saying um, and, and, and be a much more confident player next time he's in Boston um, that that is that's another benefit, right? Like you don't want somebody's confidence to go away. You want it to go, go down to Providence. And, and if he goes down to Providence now, he really should take off running, right? You mentioned he's only played so many professional games at the AHL level, anyway. So, so yeah, I mean, there's there are all those benefits you were mentioning, and and then some that just came to my mind as well. So again, um, <clears throat> I think there's pros and cons to both. I do I do think he's a special talent and and can learn on the fly at the NHL level, but I don't think he's in a situation where, or the Bruins are in a situation where they need that to be the case. Um, there's no need to rush right now. And um, so like if the Bruins find a way to keep him at the NHL level for a little bit, as I said earlier, I'm not going to be contradictory. Like I'm for that, but for all the reasons you mentioned Scott and some of it just came to my mind while you were talking, I also see, see both sides. So it's a situation for the Bruins and for Lori where, especially if he has the right mindset going back down, it's, it's a win-win for the organization and he will be back up at some point. Um, no doubt about it. So, okay. So that's a, that's, that's a down for you, Scott, but it was more of a, of a talking point in general. 
and it's been a polarizing one. Um, it's it's been the hottest you know debate among Bruins fans. Uh, I would say over the last three or four weeks, Scott has been what to do with them when Grizzly comes back. Yeah, and you know, again, just to like circle back, the very last thing I had to note on him is I'm not saying he needs like the rest of the season in Providence, right? Like it could be go go down for ten games, a couple weeks. Here's a laundry list of things we want you to work on, and the next situation that presents itself for whatever reason, injury, someone struggling, whatever it might be, you know, you can be back up by Christmas. So it, it, it's not a permanent call. Um, did you have uh, any, any downs or you want to move on to ups? Uh, you kind of mentioned them earlier and it's, it's the low hanging fruit. It's just the whole, you know, DeBrusque and Patra still not really getting on the score sheet. And again, people can, you know, yell at me till they're blue in the face. He's doing everything else. He's doing everything else. Okay, great. Well, he's not scoring. So he's going he's to do that too. Um, so especially when you're paid to, to be a scorer and a team needs you. Now, fortunately for him, other guys have stepped up. We talked about it earlier, Coyle, Zaka, JVR, even Frederick at times. But, you know, the, you mentioned how last night Coyle, JVR, and Frederick were quiet. It was a quiet game for them. Well, that was true until it wasn't. And even in their quiet games, they've they've found ways to contribute. And it seems like it's been the opposite for for DeBrusque and Patra as of late. Like you can see that they're trying, but they're not scoring. Um, and I hate to I hate to be this black and white about it, but at some point you gotta start scoring. And and when they do, we will not talk about it anymore. When like you don't hear me being like, oh, Jacob Loco, he's kids gotta get going, or Oscar Steen, he's gonna get scoring for them because that's not the expectation for them. So like at the NHL level, it's 82 game regular seasons. I understand there's going to be slumps and there's going to be off nights, but to you, you can't just keep applauding effort. Like for, for certain players, you have to have the effort and you have to produce. It's the name of the game. That's the business that they're in. And uh, so until, you know, he starts breaking out of the slump on the score sheet, he's got to be a bit of a down. I mean, one goal through the first month and a half, it's come on. I mean, you could be the biggest Jake DeBrusque apologist, but he's got to have a couple more goals at this point than that, obviously. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as, as we've said, and as Jim Montgomery's kind of noted, like no matter how much you, you tell a guy, Hey, just keep doing the right things, you know, point out good things that he's doing. Like when you're used to scoring and you're not scoring, you get frustrated and other stuff starts to slip. So that's like another part that you have to guard against. And that kind of makes a slump like this, you know, even more concerning is uh, other parts of his game, I I think have fallen off a little bit already and might continue to fall off. Like if it doesn't go in, like it, it can snowball on guys. And, you know, sometimes like at somebody just need like some sort of reset to, or, you know, maybe it requires a line change, even though your top two lines, you don't want to split up. So, yeah, the the sooner, DeBrusque in particular, the sooner he gets going, the better. But, um, yeah, that, that does need to happen at some point. Uh, just, you know, another obvious down this week is, of course, Milan Lucic, um, which we we covered more in depth on the la- on our last episode. So, if people miss that, um, they can go back and listen to it just to update on sort of just a straight news front. So 
while we've been recording, uh, Lucic was in in court for his arraignment and just reading some from some reporters who were there, like uh, Jonathan Hall from Seven News. Um, it, he issued a, a not guilty plea for assault and battery charges and uh, was released on his own recognizance. Pre-trial date is set for January 19th. Um, he doesn't have to appear in person. He can appear by Zoom. So that's just sort of the, the latest news update there. Obviously, what that means, you know, for the Bruins, as of right now, he's still on an indefinite leave from the team. And I would I would expect that to continue for a while um, as this gets sorted through on on the legal front, but you know, that we'll, we'll see how it plays out. So for quickly for ups, Scott, um, this one is so obvious that we haven't even named him this year. I don't think as a, as an up and it's David Pasternak. And obviously he's one of the best players in the world and, and the Bruins need him to be that for them. And because he has been that for them, we've just kind of expected it and not really given him the, the um, allure of having a skate pod up notification. And we're going to, we're going to end that now. And we're going to give that to him this week, Scott. And, you know, he's got, I I think he's going to be thrilled. I think he's been waiting for that all year. He's been refreshing. Yeah. He's been refreshing Twitter and and an Apple podcast. He's like, he's like, why is a skate pod not making me an up? I got to keep scoring now. So he's got, um, you know, obviously he's been doing his thing. He's got 29 points in 17 games. Uh, mathematician McLaughlin might be able to give me the, the projection there, but uh, he's second in, in the NHL in points right now behind Quinn Hughes in Vancouver, which is very impressive for Quinn Hughes as a defenseman. But, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the Bruins offensively have gone as Pasternak has gone. And another goal last night, game-tying goal, just really elevating his game. I mentioned off the top him and McAvoy just really stepping up as – the next generation's leaders and and best players. And, and yeah, he's again, every week is the obvious choice. He's got 29 points in 17 games this year. So there hasn't been a down for him all year, Um, but just elevating his game to the next level, especially in the, uh, in the absence of Bergeron retiring and Krejci. It's just, there's no, there's offensively, there's been no setback in his game and he's stepped up. Yeah. He's on, he's on pace for, 58 goals and 82 assists for 140 points. And that's not bad. That, that might, that might get him a couple more ups this year. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think like what's really stood out this season, even more than previous seasons is this playmaking. Like he's averaging an assist per game, 17 assists in 17 games. And, you know, you saw a very unselfish play. Monday night to set up Pavel Zaka for the Bruins first goal where Marshan gets it down to him. And he's, he's basically one-on-one with uh, Jonas Johansson, Tampa's Dylan goalie and kind of gets Johansson dragged out of position and then slides it back to Zaka for an open net. Um, you know, just a, a really nice play. He's getting more assists in the power play this year. And I think, I think you've seen him like not, not force his shot as much he's he's been more willing to set up teammates and you know one area where like we we've talked about you know the Bruins adjusting to Zaka in the bumper versus Bergeron you know one option that can now be more opened up for them is 
Pasternak passing into the bumper for a shot. Like it used to be, you know, it was marching into Bergeron for that quick one time in the bumper. Like it can go Pasternak to Zaka now. If, you know, if Pasternak's shot isn't there, don't force it. Like, like he, he does have, you know, sort of an additional option that wasn't there as much last year. We've also seen him dump it down to JVR, right. You know, right in front or, or on the doorstep a few times and JVR is so good in that area that I think there's, there's a trust that, you know, that that is a legitimate outlet and a way to score goals. So uh, yeah, I think, I think you're seeing his playmaking at, possibly the highest level of his career, certainly assist wise, just in terms of the raw numbers, the highest level of his career, but just more unselfish play. And that's probably going to swing back around at some point where if teams are start to respect that playmaking more and realize like, Hey, he, he is going to feed that, that open teammate. So we better try to take away the pass. Now all of a sudden the shots back and you you'll not that he's scoring goals that like, much of a lower rate. As I said, he's on pace for 58 of them. Um, but like that could open up even more shot attempts for him. Yeah. I mean, he's a hat trick next game away from being on pace for like 65. Right. So um, I mean, I think, and this is nothing to do with Bergeron. Obviously Bergeron is an all timer and was phenomenal on the power play, but I just kind of have had this thought in my mind this year that because Bergeron's gone and Zaka's in his place in the bumper, it's less about Bergeron and Zaka their skill sets. It's about the handedness, right? Like I've kind of thought that the power play could operate better, more efficiently now with a lefty in the bumper as a righty, because as you mentioned, like, I just feel like when Marshan was, was feeding Bergeron, Bergeron as a righty, that, that pass is coming from Marshan. Right. And I just think that because Marshan seldom shot, it was too predictable. Well, now with Zaka as a lefty, you have that, you have, the, the Pashnak now feeding him and he's obviously a shot first threat. So when you're a shot first threat, like now that bumper position becomes more open and it just, it's more, it's more effective coming from Pashnak's flank than, than Martian and Pashnak is straight up at this point in both of their careers, a better playmaker than Martian. So yeah, I mean, I just think that obviously I kind of made this a power play specific point, but yeah, I, I think that this is why structurally I feel like the power play running through Pashnak should be more efficient than it has been in the past um, for for all the reasons I just said. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's been really good. And, yeah, so he, he's definitely the, the skate putt up so far. So, um, and, again, like second in the NHL in scoring at that, he could obviously jump into first at any point. And, again, this is kind of interesting because we're so used to seeing Dreisaitl and McDavid as the one and two the last handful of years, like, you know, it's always been, all right, who's going to finish third through fifth in scoring. But I mean, Edmonton's obviously, they've just been continuing to struggle and, and McDavid and Dreisaitl are like, they might be top 20 scores. They might not be, I haven't checked that far down the list right uh, yet, but um, so it's kind of open for anybody. And that's why you see Quinn Hughes is the leading scorer and Pashnak right there. Um, any follow up to that? It just, just mentioning like the leading scores, like it, it is crazy to see a defenseman on top, Quinn Hughes, 30 points in 19 games. And, you know, kind of touch on, but it's like, unfortunately, if, if Hughes and Kale McCarr is not far behind, he's 27 points in 17 games. 
like if those guys stay anywhere close to that pace, it's like fortunately McAvoy's not really gonna have much of a chance, but um you know, he could could be top three Norris candidate. Um but yeah, you're right, like it is more open. You know, you see JT Miller and Elias Pedersen up there for Vancouver as well. William Nylander for Toronto in a, in a contract year, by the way, talking about someone who's setting himself up for quite the payday. Um, obviously Kucherov, like it, it could be a more open, you know, and keeping this like possible specifically, like a much more open heart trophy race. Whereas last year, I feel like from basically November on, as great as Pasenak was, he was playing for second because Connor McDavid was just running away from everyone. Um, that's not really happening with anyone this year. So, you know, we've we've talked about how much the Bruins offense is running through Pasenak. I think he's at like, I think it's a point in like 48% of their goals this season. Like he's, he's going to be right at or near the top of that conversation. Scott, do you know off the top of your head? And, and if you don't, I want you to guess, so don't don't ruin the the fun. Do you know where Connor McDavid right now, days before Thanksgiving, ranks among leading scorers in the league? Hmm, I, I didn't look, so I'm going to guess thirty third. Hmm. He's sixty second in the league in scoring right now, and that's. 15 points in 15 games. So that kind of shows you how offensive the league is these days. A point per game gets you, you know, 62nd in the league in scoring. But yeah, he's 62nd. He's sandwiched between Connor Bedard, well, Sebastian Ajo, and then Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard is 63rd in scoring with 15 points in 15 games as well. But Connor McDavid is uh, six goals, nine assists, 15 points, minus five in 15 games. And this is not like one of those situations where it's like, oh, a week or two into the season. Like, no, I mean, you're you're a month and a half into this in a regular season, and the best player in the world is 62nd in scoring. That's, I mean, Edmonton's issues historically have been defensive, but I mean, when 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 Mc, that just goes to show, if Connor McDavid is playing at a point per game pace, <laughs> like Edmonton's screwed, like a point per game pace, and they're screwed. Let alone superhuman like he usually is. So that's that's that jumps out and i think i think i saw dry saddle was like maybe 15th or 20 i don't know but yeah and and mcdavid did miss a few games but still like you know point per game is is clearly a down year for him when we're used to you know seeing him like 120 points plus and and even you know even dry saddles usually top three or four in the league not you know whatever tied for 13th right now but you know, by the way, another just like crazy one, and I know team wise they've they've fallen off a bit, but Sidney Crosby still just right up there, tied thirteenth, twenty two points in seventeen games, like just impressive to still still see him doing that. I don't, you know, unfortunately for them, they I still don't think they have a good enough team around him to really do much. But um, you know, he's just still going at such a high level. Yeah, he is. I wonder how many years he has left, Scott. I mean, he wasn't too far behind the Burge run. It was it drafted a year behind the Burge run. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, and I could I could see him doing something like Burge run, where like he might retire after like being a top ten or top fifteen score in the league, like kind of going out while you're still 
at an elite level. I mean, Burroughs Rohn retired after winning the Selkie, right? And was the number one center on the best regular season record team of all time, record team of all time. It's subjective if they were the actual best regular season team. But um, anyway, yeah, so Crosby, Crosby has another year after this left on his current contract. Like, I wonder, I do wonder if like that might be the end point is after next. I mean, season. he's got, he's got the three cups. If, if Pittsburgh's in a situation where he just doesn't think that they can compete, but he still wants to play. Could you ever see him in a different uniform for like one, like, like, like a Ray Bork to Colorado thing, even though he's got the three cups, but if he wants to, have a shot at one more and wants to play another year and doesn't think Pittsburgh is it. Could you see him going in a different sweater? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I mean, what about like centering a line with like his fellow Nova Scotian and former Team Canada line mate Brad Marchand? Oh boy, Scott, Scott, you you, you can't you can't say that. <laughs> that's it for this week, guys. <laughs> you can't say that. An hour fifteen in. That's that's just leaving too much on the too much turkey I, on the bone there. T- my honest answer is no, I can't see him playing for a team other than Pittsburgh. But did I do remember like a couple years ago, they were like, I don't think there's anything to them, but there were rumors about like, would Crosby want to trade to, you know, kind of finish out his career or whatever? Because I think Pittsburgh had either like just missed the playoffs or I think they had gotten swept in the first round or something and didn't really seem to be on the, on an upward trajectory, but I sort of feel like if it wasn't going to happen then where he might've had like a, you know, three or four year run at it somewhere else, then I, I don't see it happening now. He's just, he's so much a part of that organization and um, it, it would be really hard to imagine. I mean, when's the last time they made the playoffs? It's been a couple of years, right? If they would, if they were to miss it, if they were to be out of it again at the deadline this year, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does. You're right. He does see a he does see a, a need for a top two center and with, with one of his best buddies in Boston. That would be that would be quite the story. The the number one. Yeah, I mean, Boston's missing a Sidney Crosby. So last year was the first year they completely missed the playoffs since 2006. But 2020, they lost in like the qualifying round. You know that silly play in whatever in, in the in the bubble the last time they won a playoff series was 2018 yeah like that's well even even yeah I mean, even boston hasn't won a playoff series since 20 2021 against washington but yeah that's clearly not as far as pittsburgh um i mean if <laughs> i yeah i mean there's probably a million reasons and the first one being cap related why he wouldn't end up, end up in boston but if he ended up in boston i mean I mean, with the defense and goaltending and supporting cast that they have, I mean, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty close to a, a Stanley Cup. I'm not, look, after last year, there's never a Stanley Cup block, but that would be uh, quite the development. But anyway, Scott, it's Thanksgiving this week, not Christmas, so it's not on my list. Um, so with that said, maybe we can probably just wrap this one up. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to let people know, we are not planning on doing a, a third episode this week with, with Thanksgiving. So we'll be back. I think we're, our plan is going to be to record sometimes Sunday, drop Monday morning, like usual. And obviously we'll have plenty to discuss because the Bruins play three times between now and then at, at Florida on Wednesday, the black Friday home game against Detroit. And then at New York Saturday afternoon, a back to back. And 
I'll actually, I'm actually heading down to New York for that one. So might have a, uh, might have some, some tales from, from the big apple. We'll see. Very nice. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And like Scott said, we'll talk to you next week.